Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Hear the word of God from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. You can find this reading on page 860 in the Pew Bible. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to the sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. This year we focus on Luke's version of the Easter story. That means we are not in Matthew, the Hollywood special effects version of Easter. In Matthew, you hear about the earthquake. You see the stone rolled away in real time. Lots of dazzling special effects. Matthew is the Avengers Endgame version of the Easter story. Not Luke. That means we're not in the Gospel of John either. That's the Hallmark movie version of Easter. The one with the intimate tear-jerking encounter between Jesus and Mary. A real in-the-garden moment where we're reminded that Jesus walks with us and talks with us and tells us that we are his own. Pass the Kleenex. Keep it handy. It's a real tear-jerker. But not Luke. And we're not in Mark's version Easter either. That's the Alfred Hitchcock version. I love preaching that one because the people who come to the tomb run away frightened for their lives in terror. Eventually, some other screenwriters had to come in and fix the ending with some alternatives, but for now, Mark's version ends with sheer panic. That's the Easter gospel according to the Twilight Zone, but not Luke. Luke as you just heard A.V. read, has a lot of essential similar qualities to the other versions. The stone is rolled away, 
The tomb is empty. There is no dead body. Jesus has been raised from the dead. All of that you'll find in the other Gospels. But what Luke really has to say, Luke's unique angle on Easter, I think, is what you and I really need to hear. It could be that for this particular Easter, it's Luke's version that we need to experience. And here's why. Luke is the Mythbusters version of Easter. Luke's Easter story is for the skeptical. His version is for any of us who find ourselves here today wondering whether this story is really true and how the resurrection could have possibly happened. It's for anyone with any degree of uncertainty about the Christian faith. Now, the fact that you're here this morning suggests that you're not a full-blown disbeliever, but if there's any part of you that wonders today, I'm just not sure what to make of this whole resurrection thing, then I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad we are in Luke. Because as we track through the major characters in all of Luke chapter 24 this morning, here's what we're going to discover. You're not alone. Neither am I. Because none of the major characters in Luke 24 could believe it either. But you know what? By the end of it, by the end of Luke 24, and by the end of our experience this morning, love will find a way. Love will find a way in you. When the women arrived at the empty tomb, they should have had all the evidence they needed to believe it. There should have been no skepticism whatsoever in them. The stone had already been rolled away. That was evidence number one. The tomb was empty. That was evidence number two. The body of Jesus was gone. That should have been all they needed to believe. Still, only Luke characterizes the mindset of the women as, quote, perplexed. He's the only one to tell us they were perplexed. That Greek word for perplexed means unable to move forward, nowhere to turn. In other words, the women felt stuck. They didn't get it. They didn't know what to make of it. They couldn't move forward with their minds. They felt stuck. And you know what? That is the worst kind of stuck. When your intellect and your faith collide, when your reason and your religion smash up into each other, that was the women at the tomb, according to Luke. So for any of us this morning who feel that kind of stuck, perplexed, about the Christian faith, but still wanting to give it a try, then Luke's Easter gospel is for you. Because he gives us three prescriptions, three things that you might want to try, three possible ways for you to embrace both your doubts and your faith. Here's prescription number one. Recognize God through remembrance. Basically, it means remember what God has been doing in your life. It's interesting, as the women stood there perplexed and stuck, the angels all of a sudden became like court stenographers. They began reading back for them the transcript of what Jesus had told them before. They played back the tape for them of all he had told them and all he had done for them, all that they had seen, even if they didn't understand it before. Here's the first prescription for you. 
your first prescription in reconciling your faith with your skepticism is to look back at your life in the rearview mirror. And notice, maybe notice for the very first time, all the ways that God has been at work in your life even before you realized it. Was there a time in your life when you first had an inkling that there could be more to your life than living for yourself? That was God. Was there a time when someone invited you to church for the first time? That was God. How about the time when the name Jesus felt more than just a name to you? That was God. How about that time in your life when all seemed hopeless, when you were reaching out into the dark and all of a sudden you could feel this tug within your heart, a guiding hand that would not let you give up, a strength to face one more day, one hour at a time? That was God. And you know what? God has been at work in your life regardless of whether you believed it, regardless of whether you recognized it. God's activity is not contingent on your recognition or your ability to believe it. But maybe now you can see it. Maybe the first bit of evidence of the resurrection in your life is that now you can see what God has been doing in retrospect. And now you can appreciate that God has brought you this far. It could be that recognition and remembrance is what you need to believe in the resurrection today. And if that's the case, that's great. If that doesn't work for you, Luke has more to say. He's got two more prescriptions to go. So number two, when in doubt, check it out. When the women left the tomb, they went straight to the 11 disciples and told them what they'd seen. And the disciples were completely upfront about their skepticism. They didn't believe it either. Luke 24, 11 says this, and I quote, this is what the disciples said, you women are full of baloney. Not quite, but that's close. What it really says is, their words struck the apostles as nonsense, and they didn't believe the women. I have to say, if I were writing Luke's gospel as the father of two daughters, I believe the next verse, verse 12, could have easily read, immediately then the women did verily smite the disciples with a knee struck righteously into their groins, and the disciples did then wail and gnash their teeth, hashtag me too. That is not what happened next. You want to know what happened next? What really is in verse 12? Peter. Peter's in verse 12. I want you to notice something interesting about Peter. In verse 11, he and the other disciples thought the women were full of nonsense. And you would think that the next verse, that their skepticism would be the end of it, but not Peter. In the very next verse... Peter goes to check it out for himself. I think that's fascinating. That somehow Peter was willing to hold in his mind both his skepticism in verse 11 and his willingness to venture into faith in verse 12. 
He was doubtful, but he still had faith. Because to him, faith and doubt were not incompatible. It might surprise you that doubts and skepticisms are nothing to be ashamed of. I want you to know that your doubt and your disbelief is nothing that you need to hide from. Peter didn't, and so can you. So have I. I've even had my doubts. It might surprise you that even I have had moments in my life when I have wrestled with doubts and skepticism in my faith. Almost 30 years ago, I nearly walked away from the Christian faith. I had been raised with a fairly secure and confident belief in my Christian convictions, and then I went to college, and there I read books and studied courses that challenged much, many of the fundamental principles of my Christian belief. As professors and classmates began to question the things that I held dear, and I started to to think about what they were saying. And it was a period in my life that I can best characterize as a wilderness experience. When what I thought about the Christian faith began to be undermined and I started to question its veracity. But you know what? What eventually got me through that wilderness experience was a willingness to hold both my doubts and my faith in a kind of creative tension a willingness to check out the resurrection. It was the resurrection that brought me back. I realized that if Jesus was not in that tomb, then the resurrection was real. And that if the resurrection was real, then the truth of Christianity was too. And it was that singular moment of realization that brought me back to the faith. Now, my skepticism didn't fully go away. But you know what? I didn't want it to. I was and still am a believer in science and reason and intellect. But in those years that followed, I was able to embrace both my doubt and hold it in tension with the Christian faith, which is why one of my favorite quotes of all time comes from writer Anne Lamott. The opposite of faith is not doubt. It's certainty. As long as we are willing to embrace that uncertainty, we can hold that faith and that doubt in creative tension together. So maybe that prescription could work for you. When in doubt, check it out. If not, then Luke has one more for you. Prescription number three, live it until you believe it. Live it until you believe it. We skip past the Emmaus story, and we come to the weirdest post-Easter story of all four Gospels. Even if the women and, the, and Peter began to embrace the resurrection, clearly the other ten disciples did not. And that's when Luke pulls out all the stops. He decides to bring in the greatest piece of evidence of the resurrection there would be, the resurrected Jesus himself, Exhibit A. He shows up. It should be the only proof that these disciples would need. Surely, surely the disciples would believe the resurrection if Jesus himself showed up, and so he does. And to prove that it's him, he opens with his favorite catchphrase of all, peace be with you. But nope, 
The disciples didn't believe it. In fact, Luke says the disciples were terrified and afraid because they thought they were seeing a ghost. Strike one. So Jesus kicks it up a notch. If his face and his voice wouldn't convince him, then maybe his pierced hands and his feet would. He said, take a look, fellas. Look at my wounds. This really is me. But they still didn't believe him. Strike two. So then Luke goes over the top in the proof department. Jesus said, okay, look, fellas. If I really were a ghost, do you think I'd be able to eat some fish? Of course not, he says. The fish would go into my mouth and drop right through me like bad Mexican food. So boys, hit me up with some fish, will you? And so he does. He eats the fish. It does not drop straight to the ground. It stays in his tummy. But the disciples still didn't believe him. Strike three. Think about all the evidence that we've seen already. All the evidence that should have convinced the disciples. The empty tomb. The women's witness. Peter's amazement. But it wasn't enough for them. Just like it may not be enough for you or me today. And so Luke offers his very best prescription of all in verses 47 and 48. Jesus told the disciples, I've got a mission for you. I have a purpose for you. I have work for you to do, to change hearts, to improve lives, to offer forgiveness, to love everyone, both here and around the world. In verses 47 and 48, Jesus says, be my witnesses. You know what? You don't have to fully believe it in order to fully live it. In fact, Luke, if Luke teaches us anything today, sometimes you need to live out the faith before you can believe it, and there is no shame in that. And you know what? For the disciples, that's what it took. That's what it finally took for them to believe. What they needed in order to embrace the faith was to put it into action, to be part of a community of love and support, to embrace the purposes for which God had created them. Because even though there was news of the resurrection around them, they had to become evidence of the resurrection themselves. And it could be that God can make you the proof of the resurrection that you are longing to see. You know what? That's what I hold on to now. Whenever doubt or skepticism drifts into my mind, I still cling to the resurrection. And whenever I need evidence of the resurrection, I don't have to just believe in an event from 2,000 years ago. I just think about the evidence of the resurrection that I see in so many of you and that I've seen in my own life and that I begin to see in moments all around the world. 
where there was only death and despair, where there was only sorrow and hopelessness. Now it's been transformed into new hope and new life. I've seen it time after time after time again all throughout my ministry. I've seen it in people like you who choose to live out the faith and then they are able to believe it. I love this quote from author Diana Butler Bass. This Easter Sunday, consider all the resurrections you have seen. There will be stories of your own life, of your myriad deaths and rebirths, of all the times you thought God had deserted you, only to discover that God was finding you anew. The resurrection cannot be intellectually proved. It goes well beyond allegory and myth. It is the continuing, transforming power of God to bring back from death all that was lost. That ever-renewing love at work, changing ourselves, our communities, and our world. Go ahead. Believe. Friends, whether you are a longtime Christian or a newcomer to the faith, or just checking it out. Or maybe you have drifted away from your faith because your faith experience in the past. I want you to know that God is calling you to be the proof of the resurrection that you are seeking. Welcome to Luke's Easter Gospel. Welcome to Luke's Easter story. Make it your own. And to close this sermon out, I'd like to say a prayer for you. Let's pray. God of hope and new life, here we are on Easter to show us the proof of the resurrection. It is the proof within us that we can live out in your name. Oh God, in this sanctuary this morning, there may be those who are having a hard time believing in the resurrection. Help them to practice it until they do. For anyone struggling with prayer, with doubts about its nature, and whether it's effective, help them to keep praying until they do. For anyone with a strained relationship with your Bible, wrestling over its words, even struggling to read it at all, help us to keep reading it until its power is made new within us. For anyone here who has been struggling with the church, betrayed by Christian community in the past, reluctant to make it a part of their future, help them to keep showing up until it is redeemed, until it is a restored part of their lives. And if we have doubts about your love, teach us to love others to look for your presence, to join arm in arm with others who can believe on our behalf until we believe in your love for ourselves. Remind us, God, that doubts and skepticism are a natural part of our faith. For by your grace alone, we can embrace you with our whole hearts and our whole minds, loving you and loving others fully. God, we thank you for the resurrection and the proof of your love within us. Let all God's people say, amen. People of the resurrection, we respond with joy and hope.
we do so by offering to God our fullest hearts and our commitments to Jesus. We offer our gifts of our tithes and our offerings, as well as our prayer concerns and joys on the prayer cards before you. At this time, we invite the ushers to come forward and wait upon us.